Welcome to the Good Bad Mad podcast, a show that's here to share the ins and outs of creative careers, connecting the aspirational with the experienced, with your host, me, Meg Ellis. My guest for this episode is Jamie Roberts. She's head of casting at Disney Animation. She talks us through her career, her job role, and gives us a real insight into the Frozen casting process. Hope you enjoy it. Jamie, hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. I am awesome. I'm happy to be here. So, so what we're all about at, at The Good Bad Mad is really kind of delving into creative careers and finding out the ins and outs, what's involved with them beyond um I mean people know what an actor does they know what a director does but beyond that it can get a little bit fuzzy um even for people who are already in the industry so we want to find out all about casting please (laughs) I'm I'm so excited to kind of dig in and yeah get going so can let's start with your journey into casting how did you get to where you are today well, I, it, it's interesting because I don't think anybody, I don't, I haven't met anybody that, you know, that that's told me that they grew up thinking to themselves, hey, I want to be a casting director, because I don't think a lot of people really know what a casting director is or does, like you said, and um, so it's not something that I think that people necessarily aspire to be, or at least not when I was a child, I'm, I'm 46 years old, and I don't think um, that most people um even know that a casting director exists, especially when they're young. Um, A casting director uh, facilitates the hiring of actors in either television, movies, commercials, plays. Um, And when I say facilitates, they are the front line in bringing in the talent to show either the directors or producers or whoever the person is that's hiring the talent for said project. And um, the person who comes up with the ideas for, you know, who to put in front of those people. Um, I like to think of myself as a, 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 person who is really good at puzzles. So the director will give me an idea of what it is that they're looking for, for a project. Either they'll hand me the script or they will give me a general idea of who the characters are or they'll explain the story to me. And then the first thing that happens to me is I get ideas in my head, either based on people that I already know or I start to think about which representatives I know that might have um, people that would be right for those roles, or I start to think about where I could go digging for people that could be, or for actors that might be right for those parts. Or I think to myself, I don't know where those people exist. So I have to start doing research on where I might be able to find those people. And my journey getting to where I am right now is interesting because like I said, it never occurred to me that I might be good at doing this or this might be a role that I should pursue because I had no idea what I wanted to be. I'm kind of one of those people that's um, a jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) And I was floating in high school and in college. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know, um, you know, which major I should choose. I think I went in undeclared and 
took the classes, the prerequisites for a billion different majors, and I, I probably was getting ready not to graduate. <laughs> so and, so um, your family weren't in the industry? No, my family wasn't in the industry, although they, they, my parents did have some friends that were affiliated in the industry because I did grow up in Los Angeles and just by proxy they they knew some people my parents were in the garment industry and in fashion mm -hmm. and um it just you know we my sister and I kind of grew up around it we knew some kids when we were in um you know junior high and high school who were actors mm -hmm. but it wasn't something that um we thought about because it was just kind of there yeah. uh, it wasn't a big deal um yeah, it was just something that people just did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was not interested in it, I should say. And then when I was in college and I was not graduating, <laughs> my parents asked my sister, who's older than I am, yeah. to kind of have a conversation with me about getting my act together and finishing up school. I think more than anything, they were tired of paying for it. I love, I love how your parents sent your sister to do the intervention. Right. <laughs> I love that passing off. Right. Well, my sister was always more of the motivated one and focused. And um, so and she actually was already in the entertainment industry. And some she I think she I guess she always wanted that. Mm -hmm. And um, she had started working at a talent agency while I was still in college. And so she offered to get me a job one summer when I was going to come home from school for the summer. And she said, hey, listen, I can get you a job working at this management company while you're home and right. just see if it's something that you like. And it's easy. You can live at mom and dad's and, you know, for the summer and work this job and and maybe it'll be something that you like and then you can focus and graduate and, you know, find a job, whatever, yeah. stay with this. And so I did that. Uh, she got me a job working for a management company that she had been doing business with. And I loved uh, many aspects of working in management, mainly being around the talent, the actors that I was working with. I was, this management company had hired me to, um, to pick up some actors from their auditions, one in particular actually, pick him up from his auditions, mm. run lines with him, um, take him home, make sure he was prepared for his next audition, dressed, <laughs> ran lines with him, he was on time, um, you know, whatever it was, or take him to his, whatever it was that he needed, I was running him around, he didn't have a car, he was about the same age as me, he was kind of messing up a little bit, and they really believed in him, and so, and then I did a little bit of work in the office for them, and at the end of the summer, I was getting ready to go back to school, and they said, you know, you're you're really great at this, and you're good with, with the actors, and we like you, do you want to work in the office for us, why don't you think about transferring you know, home next semester and you can come to work for us while you're in school, come work for us part time. So I did that um, mainly because I didn't know what the heck else I was going to do. <laughs> but you know what? If an opportunity presents itself, there's no harm in taking it, is there? If yeah. you've got no other plans. Yeah. And I really liked them and I liked, um, I, I loved my bosses actually. And I, I liked um, the business and I liked the shuffle um, and I hadn't been exposed to um, any of this, the ugly that I later on figured out that I didn't like about management. Mm 
Okay. Um, so I transferred home from college and to a university that was near my parents' house. And I worked um, until I was finished with college at this management company and in, in their office. And when I say ugly, it wasn't really ugly. It was just, I didn't like um, the negotiating and the selling of okay. the actor. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I, I hated thinking about them as a commodity. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. when you work at an agency or at a management company, that that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, I And I also didn't like being on the receiving end of the phone calls from the actors where something didn't go right for them at an audition or mm -hmm. they weren't booking and they were getting desperate for money or whatever. It was hard to listen to, but that is the job of the manager to help, you know, figure out what's next for the actor. And um, also something that was missing for me was the creative on the daily. Um, managers do have a little bit of the creative because they have to navigate um, an actor's career once, a career once the career has been established. If you're developing a career for an actor, it's a little bit harder to get creative because you don't have as many options. Um, yeah. But uh, I was missing the creative, I think. Um, and so I, when I graduated, I, uh, my bosses offered me a full-time position for the management company that I was working for. And I actually turned them down. And I said, you know, my heart's not in this. I love you guys and I love the clients, but I don't wanna do this. Mm -hmm. And they both said to me, you should be in casting. And um, they, actually got me a job right out of college. They sent me over to um, one of their friends that was looking, a casting director who was looking for an assistant. They sent me over to her office and she hired me on the spot. And uh, she, she was doing five pilots in one pilot season, which was kind of unheard of. This was a yeah. really long time ago. It sounds like, like a trial by fire. Yeah, it, to think of doing five pilots now, the way that the industry works now, and I don't even know if pilot season is going to exist the way that we used to know it at, now, but um, to think of doing five pilots now is like ridiculous, but I did, I, I jumped in and I worked with an associate and this casting director and they just kind of taught me everything that they knew and I, it was sink or swim, like you said, and, and it was, it just lit me up. I just couldn't think of doing anything else. And I had the best time and um, it was so fast moving. I didn't even have time to think about, you know, being uh, busy or I didn't have, I didn't have time to think about anything, but having you know, but absorbing everything that I possibly could and, yeah. and, you know, like figuring out that this is who I was. I just, I was like, I could do this all day, every day for the rest of my life. What and was, it, was, what was it the, felt right. What was it the, that excited you the most about it? It's so funny because I cannot, it's, it's this gut thing that it just felt, it felt right. It just felt right. I felt like I was in my zone yeah. and I think it's the same thing. 
and because I've talked to actors about it before that compels them to chase a career in acting, even oh, when they're yeah. they're not feeling when they're not being successful, when they're not successful, mm-hmm. the thing that that pushes them to keep pursuing it, it's that calling, whatever it yeah. is. No, um, it's 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 a hundred percent a thing. I mean me personally my my background's in in theater I started working in theater when I was about 13 and although I'm still like I'm still on the journey to figuring out what it is that I want to do is it writing directing acting whatever there is a calling to be part of this industry I can't imagine doing anything else apart from within this industry and I calling's the only way you can describe it I think you just get that feeling it's like a charge. Mm. It, people often ask like, well, how do you know who's right for a movie? Like, how do you know when somebody walks in a room and they audition and you say mm. to yourself, oh, that's the person? Well, I don't have an answer for you. It just is. It's that it's it's subjective. I mean, I'm hired by the company that I work for, you know, for, for the Disney company, for my opinion. It's just yeah. It's my gut feeling, it's magic, it's whatever it is. It's the same thing that happened to me when I was in that first seat doing those pilots with that casting director that made me realize this is what I need to be doing. It mm. just is, it's it's the feeling that I'm in the right place and this is right and all of the planets are aligned and everything's coming together and this is the way that it's supposed to be. So after that pilot season, you're like, okay, this is it, I'm, I'm a casting director. No, um, <laughs> or I'm not a casting. I was casting assistant. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know anything. I've. It was like you know, a cat. A pilot scene is based. A pilot season is basically like three months, or you know. And so the casting director that I was working for was like, I just blew every ounce of energy that I have. I'm going to Tuscany for the summer. See ya. And she bailed. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have a job. Right. Uh, I need to find one. And so I I I realized I learned that okay, this is the nature of freelance casting, yeah. which is very difficult. It's much like being an actor in that basically you have to find a new job every 10 to 12 weeks when you freelance. Right. Um, so that was very hard on me. Um, I did find another job pretty relatively quickly. And I got lucky because I was on staff at, I got hired by a casting director who had a staff position at, at uh, universal television at the time. And so I spent a year there as her assistant mm-hmm. and I learned a whole other set of skills in television. And I worked on more pilots and TV series and uh, what it was like to be on staff at a studio. And then um, I did an, another, uh, she actually was going to move to Warner Brothers and there was a little gap in between her stints. And so I worked for another casting director team in a freelance capacity for a bit. And then I moved over to Warner Brothers with her. And then I, after spending a year with her at Warner Brothers, realized it's time to take the leap and become an associate and, you know, really take, get the apprenticeship that I needed to figure out how I was going to become a casting director. Talk me through those steps. What's the difference between going from assistant to associate to director? Well, there's no clear cut path for any one person. Everybody's journey is different, but an assistant really, for the most part, handles most of the administrative um, duties of the casting office. Uh, I would say if, if I had to, you know, 
compartmentalize the jobs. Uh, they set up the auditions, you know, they schedule them, they answer the phones, they, you know, greet the actors, they shuffle the paper paperwork. Um, it used to be that we would type up the contracts. That doesn't happen so much anymore. They schedule the, the tests. Um, it's very, it's more administrative. The associate position is, um, you know, segueing into the casting director position. It, it, they act more of as a junior partner is the way that I would explain it. Um, they're more of a creative um, partner. They still do some of the assistant position jobs, um, but they also, have a hand in what's going on creatively. They might generate lists. Um, they would give the casting director suggestions, um, maybe who to bring in. They would probably also do a lot of the pre-reads, which are the um, auditions that happen um, in advance of whoever is being shown to the director. Um, you know, the screening process that um, to weed out whoever it is that's not gonna be moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's really a junior level casting director. Um, it's somebody that is, uh, I, I like to say that my associate is my right hand. Right. Um, and then that's really what prepares the person to become a casting director. And I, that's really where I learned, um, like what my taste is and what my style was going to be, uh, when I, when I jumped into that role, mm -hmm. um, so I left Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers had about 12 casting directors on staff at that time at the studio mm -hmm. and all of their assistants were vying for two associate positions. Okay. So I, and I was basically the last one in. So I, it was like, everybody kind of felt like you needed to get in line at the, um, and I wasn't gonna wait. And I had gone to the big boss there at the time. And I said, is there any way that I can get on some kind of an accelerated path? Because I don't wanna sit behind all these people waiting to get in as an associate. And I didn't really get a clear answer. So I left yeah. and I went to go work for a freelance casting director who had a pretty prolific um, career at that point. And I worked on some of the most fun projects that I possibly could have asked for. And um, I worked with her uh, at different studios and I got a taste of what it was like to work on you know, teen comedies and action adventures and thrillers. And we worked at projects at Fox and at Disney and at Warner Brothers. And I, I worked with her only on features, which was good because I had had a very um, television heavy career up to that point. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, um, it was a shift for me in, exposure to different types of actors also because in that time there was definitely a dichotomy there were yeah. the actors that went in for tv stuff and there were the actors that came in for movie stuff it wasn't as um, mixed as it is now um so was so, is there a difference in terms of how you approach casting between television and live action film well you had access to a lot 
more talent if you were working on film than if you did on television, because there were just actors that just wouldn't even consider working on television. Right. So you had access to a different group. Of, you had a, a wider net that you could right. cast in features. And um, the process was different because it seemed like to me, a lot less people had to sign off on somebody in features than did in television because when you work in television, at least back then, you, the actor would be signing up for basically six years if it was a series regular position. Um, and the network would be signing somebody up for six years, right. theoretically. So all of these people, the studio, the network, whomever, they would have to all sign off on, do, do we think audiences are going to tune in to watch this person for the mm -hmm. next six years? So there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen trying to decide whether or not it was worth investing in this person for six years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there was a lot more um, scrutiny in television. Um, so the process was a little bit different, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think okay. just picking up on what you said then, um, I think this is almost common misconception that casting directors are the gatekeepers you know they're the they're the ultimate decision makers regarding yeah. who gets the casting roles can we can we clarify that a little bit well I don't like to think of them as being I think I think of gatekeeper as being somebody who's prohibitive I think that casting directors are the are the actor's best friend at least i like to think of myself that way because i if i if i get a, an actor cast in a movie then i've done my job and i've helped somebody else like i want the actor that i bring in to book the job it's my job to get you cast so i'm your friend i want you to come in and i want you to do well and i want you to have the best audition that you possibly can because if you book the job then my job's done and I look good. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I don't, I don't like to look at casting directors as gatekeepers. I yeah. think that, you know, we're advocates. Yeah. Um, you're, you're offering opportunity, opportunity for them to show showcase themselves the best possible way. So you can take it to the director, the producer, anyone else who's yeah. involved and say, this person's great. We want them. What do you think? <laughs> Yes, it's kind of like, this is kind of a silly analogy, but you see a lot of um, like, we'll see dogs in movies, for instance, like Dobermans or Rottweilers or something. You'll see these dogs and they're salivating and they're growling and, and it's a movie. And then you see a Doberman in person and it's like the Dober, like I've never met a Doberman that's growled or snarled or, or that's, you know, salivated and looked like it was going to attack me. Yeah. They're all sweet as peaches. But if you look at casting directors in movies, for instance, they're always portrayed as these you know, horrible people who are like, ah, you're too fat or you're ugly or get out of my office or they're, you know, they're, they're cranky and they're mean. And it's like, so people have this perception of the casting director being like you said, the gatekeeper or, you know, naysaying people or the casting director should be the actor's biggest cheerleader. Hmm. I mean, I, that's how I feel about my job. I don't, I'm not going to bring anybody into the director that I'm not going to champion. Yeah. Um, the, what's the point? That's a waste <laughs> of my time and a waste of the actor's time. Exactly. No one's um, evil, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, and, and like I I've, I've said so many times before, like for me, the best part of my job is that I get actors coming into my office that how lucky am I that I get people coming in who perform for me. They do a scene for me. A lot of times it's funny. They crack me up. They make me laugh. Then they sing for me because I do all these musicals, which I love. And they're a lot of times when they, most of the time when they come in, they're happy, they're hopeful, there's an opportunity for them. They come in there. It's like I, I get to meet a new person who's got a smile on their face mm -hmm. and they want to chat and they want to tell themselves, you know, they want to tell me about themselves and they want to hear about me. And they're like, you know, like, what could be better than that? I know it, it does sound absolutely lovely. It doesn't have to be difficult or painful or I know that it's really hard to tell an actor not to have anxiety or to be nervous before they go in to see a casting director or not to come off desperate or whatever it is but it's just you know we're people too the casting director is a person and they have a job to do and if the actor doesn't do their job if they're unable to do it because they're so anxious because they think the casting director is going to be mean to them or the casting director is mean to them then the casting director can't do their job either yeah so there's no point in having an adversarial relationship between the casting director and the actor mm -hmm. So, um, so, but I do know there are casting directors out there that aren't particularly nice, but that's just life in general. There are people that aren't nice. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So, so you were working in live action features. When did you get to Disney? It was sometime in 2006. I actually, before I started working on staff at Disney, I um, I was working uh, in a freelance capacity on Enchanted for the head of casting at Disney, who was Marsha Ross. I I was the associate on Enchanted for her. I I officially I think went on staff at Disney in um, 2007, and so I was working in live action casting at Disney in, in 2007 and then um, sometime not that long afterwards maybe a year and a half or so hmm. um, or actually a little less than a year into it I was helping out in animation they had they were having um, they had some extra work that needed to um, that needed some attention and my boss in live action offered me up to help them out and so I started working on um they were doing some tv specials and i helped out on those it, they were called prep and landing there were some christmas specials and they were super cute and then um there was some reorganization going on at, in live action and i i honestly don't i i don't even know exactly how it happened but this it was fortuitous because I landed in animation in, in the position in the head of the department in animation casting after not really having too much animation experience as a casting director. And I thought to myself, like, can I do this? Like somebody thinks that I can because they put me here. Yeah. Um, but I got really lucky because I landed there and it has been a dream job working with incredibly talented, intelligent, amazing people on products, you know, projects that I am, you know, extremely proud of. And 
I have learned a tremendous amount working there. And I, it, you know, it's just casting something completely different than I ever thought that I would. I mean, if you'd have asked me at 23, when I started doing this, that, you know, if I'd ever be casting, you know, Disney animated features, I would, I would be very confused by that because animation was never something that was, you know, an interest of mine. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, I mean, how can you not fall in love with animation? I mean, I mean, I, everybody loves Disney movies. You can't not love Disney movies. I mean, they're beautiful and the music and, you know, when you watch a musical or the colors and the and just the artwork, it's just it's mesmerizing. It's good. I mean, they're always my um, go to carpool karaoke songs, not going to lie. Of course, of course. <laughs> So um, what's the difference between casting for live action and casting for animation? That's a great question. And for me, um, I think that it is uh, for when I had to switch gears and um, and I started mostly when I started mostly casting animation, I realized that if you shut your eyes and you listen to somebody's performance, mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're watching a, a movie and you close your eyes and you listen. Can you still get the same movement of emotion inside yourself by listening mm -hmm. to the performance that you can if your eyes are open? Mm -hmm. If you can, then that person, that actor would be good at voiceover. If you cannot, then they are not meant for voiceover. That does not mean that they're not a good actor. It just yeah. means they're better, that they have, um, you know, something, a charisma that is visual. Mm. Um, there are a lot of actors who I consider the finest of our time mm. that have something about them that speaks through their eyes or, you know, the way that they move. There are, there are just some actors that to me just are physically charismatic. It's not mm. even about like, you know, do they do physical humor or something? It's more about, you know, they're, I, I often use Joaquin Phoenix as a as an example. To me, when you watch Joaquin Phoenix on the screen, there are times where he doesn't even have to say anything. But if you look at his eyes, and a lot of times directors will close up on his face, mm -hmm. he can say an entire scene with his eyes and not speak a word. Yeah. That doesn't work for animation. No, I rather than not. <laughs> So the difference for me being in casting is when an actor comes in, if I can look at a piece of paper while they're doing their scene and I can be moved or I can get the humor and not be looking at them, then obviously that's good for us. I'm just thinking so. this paranoid actor who's like, she's not looking at me, she's not paying attention. <laughs> Well, I've actually kind of trained myself to for the yeah. actor to think that I'm looking at them and I'm kind of, out. you know, zoned out or glazed over from, you know, like yeah. I've, I've learned how to avert my attention in yeah. that way and kind of just listen to the experience. Or sometimes we even tell them that we're doing that. Yeah. Because a lot of the directors will have an image of the character kind of pinned up in front of them while they're listening to the actor right. to kind of give them that experience too. hundred percent. We warn them <laughs> if we try not to freak them out too much. I mean, vo voice acting, 
seems to have boomed over over the last I don't know 10 years in terms of like people are doing audiobooks voiceovers like it just seems to have boomed into this whole other side of the acting industry that people hadn't really thought about (laughs) you know it's really ideal for a lot of actors too especially busy actors because if you're locked into a tv series for instance or if you're doing a movie and you're in you know uh Bulgaria, for instance, and you are not available to do anything else. And you're just, you know, sitting, waiting for your turn to go in for your scene. And then there's three weeks in between scenes, but you can't fly home. You can always go into a studio and record for an animated series or for a book or for, you know, another movie or whatever. You're, you're never not available to do you know, animation or, or something where you're doing voiceover. So it, you know, it, it's a very convenient um, other job. <laughs> do, do you have any tips for actors who are thinking about trying to do a bit more voice work and how they might be able to um, broaden their skills in that way? For me, for um, Disney animation, for feature animation, I personally am not interested in all of the different voices that you can do. I usually hire people for their own voice and for their acting skills. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it's really important for an actor to be able to improvise. So improv classes or sketch comedy classes are, are super helpful and also acting classes. Less important for me are voiceover class, and I'm using air quotes again, and I, which I hate, but um, this, it happens sometimes. I don't love voiceover classes, and I don't love, um, you know, cartoon voices. Yeah. Um, so that's not, those are not helpful to me. I rarely hire actors to come in and put on a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally we do have an act, like there's one actor that, that um, happens to be in a lot of our films that my directors feel is a, um, is a, a talisman for us. He's our good luck charm. His name's Alan Tudyk. And he does play a different character in um, a bunch of our different films. And he'll do a voice. You know, he'll put on a character. He plays a chicken in one of our films. He he plays uh, King Candy in one of our, he, he does, a, he just plays a, d- a bunch of different voices. He, he is somebody that we have put on a voice. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, everybody, um, uses their own voice. Uh, so I don't, I wouldn't recommend for my purposes taking, you know, but improv is is a huge part of animation, isn't it? Yes. For us, it is definitely, especially because at our studio, our writers are on staff. So they're usually in the booth with, you know, in, in the recording room with the actors when they're recording for production and there's constant, they're constantly doing rewrites and they're, they're looking to the actors to help them um, create these characters and make them as authentic as possible. And the actor who knows the character better than the actor does, because the actor is the closest person to the character. So if the actor thinks that the character would say something, you know, the writer encourages the actor to give it a try. Yeah. And so it, it's, if you have these improv skills and you're able to think on your feet, how, you know, how the character would speak, it's, it's definitely encouraged in our yes. recording. The, the process of animation kind of baffles me slightly. It's so topsy-turvy in comparison to live action or tv or whatever it's just um, 
the joke is it, at our studio that there's never a, a full script. There's never like a shooting draft of the script mm -hmm. until the film is delivered to the theater and somebody transcribes it. <laughs> so there's, it's just constantly being rewritten and torn down and redone. We have, we have like a screening process where mm -hmm. Uh, this, like a lot of the members of the studio, they, they call a story trust will come in and they'll give notes on it and they'll tear it down and redo it. And it's just, you know, it, until it's perfect. And I think, A, that's why it takes so long to make these movies. It, it can take four years to make an animated feature. But B, that's that's the perfection that that Disney is looking for. They yeah. They want it to be, they spend a lot of money making these movies and they want it to be up to the quality that the audience deserves and expects from yeah. you know disney that is true so can we talk through maybe a case study of, of the casting process can okay. we um maybe use frozen for instance okay so every project is different and has its own personality mm -hmm. and Frozen was no different. And the first question that everybody asked me is, did you know that it was going to be such a huge success while you were working on it? And the answer is always no, because if we did, then we would just do the same thing every time so that we would have a, a billion dollar movie every single time. I mean, that would be so nice. <laughs> let's just put that away. <laughs> um, Frozen is interesting because the studio was under different leadership at the time. And that leadership really liked um, a particular process to begin with before the project was greenlit to do a table read mm -hmm. with a rough draft of the script, a very rough version of the script. And my role at the beginning was to invite a bunch of actors, just actors that I thought might service that rough draft of the script to come to this table read and read the script out loud in front of a bunch of directors at the studio and some writers and some story people and the executives mm -hmm. to see if we had a viable project. Right. And so the director would work with them maybe like a day in advance. And um, I would invite all of these actors to come in who I either knew or who some agents would pitch to me and say, oh, what's the role? And we would talk about it and they'd say, oh, well, so-and-so would probably do this. Mm -hmm. So I invited a group and we had um, a very cool group of actors. A lot of the roles changed so much that the mm -hmm. actors that we invited to that table read weren't even right for the roles that ended up in the movie anymore anyway. Yeah. And um, some of them weren't even singers, but it didn't matter because we were just reading the script at the yeah. table. It's just, it's for the writers really at that point hearing. Yeah. It's just, do we have a viable project? It does this, is this going to work if we try to, it was a workshop basically. Yeah. So um, we do this table read, which by the way, Josh Gad was at that very first table read. The project wasn't even called Frozen. And he read the role of Olaf at the table read. And the first thing after the table read that our former um, creative uh, executive said was, if, if we make this movie, that kid is playing that part. Um, and um, that was- Was Josh a, a, a name at that point? No. He was a he, he was had a not done Book of Mormon. He had not done he had done nothing of note at that right. point. 
I believe that he had done um, some correspondence on The Daily Show. Right. So he was a fresh find and it was just immediately a perfect fit. And it was by accident because I'm very fond of telling people that I had I had asked somebody else to come in and do it. Mm -hmm. And that person who I cannot even remember, I swear to you that I can't remember who it was at this point, but that person um, got a paying gig and fell out like a couple of days before the table read. And so I was scrambling to find somebody to replace them and someone else who I had reading some ancillary roles, who was a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. I called him and I said, I need to replace this person. And my director would really like somebody who is like a comedic person who has a lisp Mm -hmm. to come in and read this silly um, snowman. Do you know anybody? I'm desperate. And uh, my friend said, oh yeah, I know this. I know this great guy and he's super funny. I love him, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, please don't let me down. And I called Josh. He gave me his cell phone number and I was like, can you do this? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, just call my agent, set it up. I'll totally be there. It's fine. And I was crossing my fingers and I'd never met him before anything. I didn't really know anything about him, except that I trusted this other guy who was reading these ancillary roles for me. And then Josh came and he like knocked it out of the ballpark. So um, that, that table read happened. They greenlit the project. Mm-hmm. Another one of our, our movies came out, which was a, a musical, and they decided to hold off on Frozen for a little while after that movie came out. I don't really know what was going on at the time, but um, Frozen sat for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't even called Frozen. It was called Snow Queen or yeah. something else. But it sat for a little bit, and then it came back And, um, my, the director said to me, oh, in the meantime, I was casting Tangled. Right. And another great one. (laughs) While I was casting Tangled, we were reading a bunch of, um, a bunch of actresses for Rapunzel. Mm -hmm. And one of those actresses was Kristen Bell. And my, the directors on, um, Tangled, Kristen was not right for what they were looking for, for Rapunzel. Yeah. And she was, but I, I knew what we were looking for, for, um, for Elsa. And I, and I had heard at that point that Frozen was coming back. Right. So I called while I had Kristen there, I called Chris Buck, who was our Frozen director. And I said, come downstairs. I have this actress here that I want you to meet. And she just auditioned for Tangled, but I want you to meet her before she leaves the building. So, and I was literally in the middle of a session, you know, running other Rapunzel's in and out of Tangled session. And I pushed them into the hallway together. And I said, here, you guys go talk. So Chris Buck and um, Kristen Bell hung out in the hallway down that way. And I went on with my, um, yeah. with my Tangled auditions. And that's how they met. And that Amazing. is history that way. And then um, when we got some pages together for Frozen, we just started auditioning people. And um, actually, Kristen came back at that point and officially auditioned for Elsa. We had auditioned a bunch of other girls too, but she had already set the bar. And mm-hmm. um and then we had an we auditioned a bunch of Elsas, 
and uh, we then had another table read actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the most of the cast that we wanted for the movie and um, Kristen and Adina um, actually sang at that table read together. Yeah. They sang uh, Wind Beneath My Wings oh. and that they had rehearsed together. And it was like, oh my gosh. You must have known Adina from Enchanted. I, I knew her from, yes, I did know yeah. her from Enchanted. Yeah. Yes, she came, but I also, she also actually came in for Tangled, mm -hmm. but she was too young for Mother Gothel. Right. And not youthful enough for, for her Rapunzel. Yeah. So she's, she really fell in between the roles for Tangled. And I had kept her audition for that movie on my iPod because she sang, I will never forget, she sang Blackbird for that audition. I auditioned her in New York and I kept it on my iPod because it was oh, so beautiful. And I just, I had, I couldn't get her, I couldn't shake her for Frozen. Well, this just goes to show, isn't it? It's like auditions, yes, they may be for one thing, but you'll build, you need to build relationships with these oh, of course. directors to, to, like, cause you never know what's going on behind the scenes, do you? Oh, of course, of course. Auditioning for something in my mind, just because you're auditioning for whatever it is that you're going in the room for, doesn't mean that it's actually for this role. It yeah. could be for anything. And also at my studio, because we have, uh, you know, so many directors and producers and writers on staff, we all hear are all every all the creative people on each project hear each other's auditions, he, you know, or they see actors in the building, uh, you know, for each other's other projects or whatever. And so they're constantly being exposed to each other's talent, and then you could end up in something else. You know, uh, we had um, uh, Jamie Chung actually did our when when we were first working on Moana, we had a table read for Moana, and Jamie Chung um, did us the favor of reading um, Moana at the table read before we um, greenlit that project, just as a favor to us. Um, which I'm super grateful for. And before we even did Moana, we um, she ended up because because our director for Big Hero Six was at that Moana table read. Yeah. He heard her at the Moana table read and said, "Hey, I really like her for this part in Big Hero Six. And she ended up in Big Hero Six way before Moana even came out. Which she wasn't right for. I mean, Moana was a musical about a Polynesian princess. So <laughs> that role wasn't for her. So to take it back a couple of steps, your the project's being kind of greenlit and you've got a small solid idea of what the characters are like. Yes. But again, those characters are not going to be fully developed for a long, long time. Yes. So when you're getting a casting brief, what does that casting brief look like? Um, I kind of, I work with the writer to kind of make up a little blurb about who the character is. And then I start talking to the agents about what we're looking for. And sometimes if it's really complicated, then I'll put out a breakdown. Right. Um, and I just put as little as humanly possible on the breakdown because I don't want to give too much um, away. Um, right. I guess really you've got these secrets to, to protect. As well. Yeah. Disney likes to hold things pretty close to the vest. <laughs> 
Um, a lot of times when we um, put out sides, you know, material for the actors to read, then um, sometimes the directors will use fake material. Either they'll use material from pre-existing, um, you know, projects, or even we've we've gone so far as to use uh, material from plays that are, you know, from long ago, or mm. you know. Or they'll even change the names and some of the stuff going on in the scenes to try and protect the IP. Sometimes we do worldwide searches and I hire, you know, casting consultants and casting directors in other parts of the world um, to help us do searches and we'll do open calls. I've had, you know, I put out calls where people have submitted themselves on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, you know, or Vimeo and they sent us you know, their auditions and we've called them directly. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends on the project, really. Yeah, it really depends on the project and how narrow the, um, the pool is mm -hmm. for a particular role. Um, when we did Moana, like I was talking about before, when you're looking for a 14-year-old who can sing yeah. and who is funny and who has the acting chops to carry a movie you know opposite somebody like Dwayne Johnson that's a pretty tall order and the that that required a huge search I yeah. mean we looked high and low for um and, that, and we we ended up fortunately with Ali Cravayo and um oh, she that was, was such a find her voice is astonishing she's amazing and she's a, a wonderful human being and it took 18 months to get to her yeah oh my goodness so, um so when when they come to audition or mm -hmm. um yeah when when they first initially come to like in the room audition are you mm -hmm. sitting there with like a, a tick list a criteria list of things that <laughs> no <laughs> The first audition, I try to make things as casual as possible because mm -hmm. the more, the more, um, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but regimented. Yeah, I guess the more regimented it feels, the more nervous it makes the actor. Right. But if pre-pandemic, if you come into my office, it feels like a living room. Mm -hmm. There's couches in there and a throw rug and pillows. And we sit down in my office. This is for a pre-read, you know, and you'll come into my office. We chat for a second. I ask if you have any questions. I sit down and run the scene with you, you know, and we'll do it again if, yeah. you know, if you want to, if you screw up, whatever it is. I don't want any actor leaving my office feeling like they didn't get their best shot at something. And, um, and then if it's a musical, you hop up and you sing in my office and I sit there and watch you. And it's weird because <laughs> I'm sitting like, you know, five feet from you and you're singing. So sometimes I'll ask the actor, like, you can sing, a, you can face the wall if you want, or I'll turn oh, it whatever it is. I think that would make it even more awkward, no? We try to do it in the least awkward way possible, but you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, like everybody else did it that way too. So. <laughs> No. That's what I say. I'm like, look, everybody who comes in here sings. So it's not weird for you to do it. If you want to face, because I have a huge window in my office too. And it faces out to like a, um, like a garden area and the street. 
So if you want to sing out to the garden, you can sing out to the garden. A little public performance, go for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they sing and it's funny because um, it, it, it gets really loud in there. <laughs> I love it. And then if, it, you know, when we do it for producers and directors, we do it down in the recording studio in my building. And, and then, you know, you have like a few other people just looking through a window at you. And I usually sit in the booth with the actor or, yeah. um, and when I say booth, everybody thinks of like, oh, it must be like a closet, but it's really not. It's like the size of my office. Right. <laughs> um it's not small at all and yeah. um and if it's a musical then I I have a pianist that I work with Sam who's awesome and he comes and the um, actor will bring their sheet music with them and he'll play he'll warm up with them and make sure that the pacing and the key are right and everything first and then he plays for them and they get an opportunity to sing for the director with the pianist playing for them and we record it and then once all of the auditions have happened um, and the director has a few ideas of who they are interested in, we, um, we will cut their auditions to um, uh, images. So we'll play their, their um, vocals up against artwork and we'll watch it on a screen. Right. So we remove the image of the actor the visual of the actor and put yeah, it up against yeah. the artwork. And yeah. then um, sometimes we'll play two actors against each other if they're gonna appear in a scene together. Mm -hmm. Like we would play Elsa and Anna um, up against each other to see if their voices are too similar, if, they're, if, wow. if the audience is gonna get confused about who's talking. Um, or if it's two people, like if they're you know gonna appear in, a scene, in many scenes together, if they're love interests or you know, just to see if their voices sound pleasing together. Um, That's so or, interesting. I never thought about having to do that um, just to see if their voices are too similar. Yeah, or if if um, age, you know, if you if you if you have um, like a father and son, for instance, like a lot of times we don't hire somebody that's actually the age that they're playing. Like for instance, Elsa and Anna, those two actresses, they're in, you know, they're not 18, they're not 18 and 21, <laughs> but they're playing 18 and 21. Yeah. So you want to know, like, do they actually sound 18 or you have a, a father that is actually in his forties, but he's playing in his sixties right. and you have a son that's in his forties and he's playing in his twenties. You want to right. make sure that, that, you know, that they actually can pull right. it off. Does he have a young voice? Does he have an right. old voice? I mean, yes. looking at him, it kind of seems like it does, but when you put this picture on it. Hmm. Yes. Exactly. So you have to make sure that, you know, when the artwork is there, that you're actually cheating in the right direction. So um, that, and then we decide, we determine, you know, we'll all sit in the room and, and determine like, is this the right thing? And fortunately I work with directors who a, a lot of them have, uh, have experience and some of them are newer. We do, we are working with some first time animation directors, but everybody's pretty respectful of the department heads that they're working with. Mm -hmm. And so I do find that a lot of the directors defer to the casting department and say like, what do you think? Right. Um, are you, or, or they'll make a decision and say, you know, Jamie, do you, is this the right choice? Or, you know, do you feel like we have something better? We kind of come to the decision together. I wouldn't yeah. say that, that, um, our directors don't make decisions in a vacuum. They're very collaborative. Yeah. 
Um, and 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 then when the when the director does make the decision and they bring the actor in and they hire them, they collaborate with the actor too. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's why our projects are as good as they are because it's not one single person's vision that ends up there. It's yeah. it, it is a, a director driven studio, but it it is a collaborative effort. I always think that's the best thing about working in film or theatre is it, it is the collaboration that makes the work better, you know? For sure. These projects are too big for one person to carry the entire oh, gotcha. burden, <laughs> you know? It's too, it's, you know, at one, at one point there was 900 people in our building before the pandemic. I mean, if, if, if every person puts their fingerprint on a particular project, I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a lot of uh, influence. Definitely. So. so when when you're um you you've you've found a person who you think is good, um are you do you also have to think, can this person look after this film publicly? Like yes, who can walk down the red carpet, who can go on these talk shows is that is a really great question. Absolutely. Um I try myself as a casting director, I think part of my job is um, that I, I watch what goes on in the waiting room. I see how actors relate to my staff. Right. I see, um, you know, when they come in and when they come in and out, uh, if they come more than once to the studio before they're hired, or if I, you know, casting director, like I have a group of friends that are casting directors, we all talk. Right. I know what goes on in the industry. Also, you know, people stuff gets back and actors that don't have a good reputation for behaving themselves right. or, you know, people, it gets back to us. Yeah. Um, I try really hard to make sure that I'm aware of, you know, when we go ahead to hire somebody, I, I try and make sure that I'm aware of whether or not there's somebody that's easy to work with, because the truth is, is that they it, a lead in one of our movies may work may come in and work on the project you know they might record 30 days over two years mm -hmm. or or you know 15 or 20 days over a year and a half but then once the movie start gets ready to come out there's a whole publicity tour yeah you know they come in and out of the studio or the or they might travel with our directors mm -hmm under normal circumstances, not, not pandemic circumstances. There's press junkets. And then there's also the, the uh, awards, um, you know, the whole, um, you know, potential of going to the Oscars and mm -hmm. doing press for that. Or, you know, once you're a Disney princess, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. There could be openings, there could be, you know, singing for the president, <laughs> there could be, uh, rides that are opening. There's there's Disney consumer products. There's there's cross there's you know across the company there are appearances. Mm -hmm. There's a you know an obligation that comes along with it. And and I'm thinking know, not only do they have to be able to pull off the role, they're becoming a representative of the Disney brand. Yes, they are, and and they have a choice as to how involved they do become mm -hmm. it doesn't have to take over your life i think there are some um some actors that lean into it more than others mm -hmm. i think 
we were talking about Josh before. I think he really loves being Olaf mm -hmm. and everything that he has an opportunity to do playing Olaf and being Olaf and doing stuff with the studio where he has an opportunity to, you know, like I said, lean into it. He likes to do. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other, you know, princesses who, you know, choose not to do all of the, you know, stuff that they get to do. It's up to them. But to me, the most important thing is, is that I don't send these directors who I love and adore working with off with people who aren't going to treat them properly. Because, <laughs> it, you know, it's a family and, and we fortunately haven't had that happen. So and I, I think it would be hard for any actor to come in and to be given an opportunity like this and to have earned it because you do have, I mean, nobody that we've hired hasn't gone through a process. Mm -hmm. So to have worked this hard and to have earned this opportunity and to not take full advantage of it and to behave yourself would be silly. Is there a pressure to pick big names? No. So when, when you're looking for um, a princess, are you seeing everyone from new to established and everyone in the middle? Yes, absolutely. Um, from the very beginning, when I took this job, I have heard from everybody that um, that Disney in and of itself is a big enough name to sell the project. Yeah. So I can put it out of my head that I need to secure name talent in order to help market or sell the project. I don't, that doesn't, um, occur to me at all during the casting process. It really doesn't. That's so um, lovely to hear. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I do, I audition, I audition everybody, anybody who could be right for the movie. And the person that gets the, the role is the person that's right for the project and that's right for the role. Um, you know, it, I'm so glad to hear that. Sometimes the person that that ends up with the part, there are people that are way more famous that had auditioned for the part than the person that got it. Mm, I love it. <laughs> so you're you're working on Encanto now, is that right? Yeah, Encanto oh, comes out in the fall, and it is a um, it's a musical that uh, Lin Manuel Miranda is writing the lyrics for. Um, it takes place in Colombia, and um, we have a, a an amazing cast and it, I can't tell you that much about it because they haven't released too much information, but um, it is a beautiful story and the artwork and is just incredible. There's a teaser trailer, I believe online, Yeah. Um, but it is, the music's beautiful and the, the artwork is just, I, I mean, it's just, luminescent. Jamie, I've got one, uh, yeah. one last question for you because I've now taken up quite a lot of your time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. No, ask away, please. Just to, I guess, summarize um, in, in keeping with, with the podcast title, uh, what are the good, bad and mad things about your job? The good? There are too many good things to list. It just genuinely makes me happy Mm -hmm. um, that I, I feel extremely fortunate that I get paid to do something that I can be, that I feel proud of and that, you know, fulfills me in so many ways, particularly creatively. Um, and there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. Um, the bad, um, 
I I don't particularly like the uh, the shenanigans that can happen sometimes during sometimes during deal making. I don't love oh. that part. Are we talking like negotiations, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I don't love that. Nah, it gets messy, doesn't it? <laughs> sometimes it depends on who who you're dealing with on the other side. Um. And then the the craziness is that the, the mad part? Yes, we're British. <laughs> the, the mad part is probably what keeps it interesting. Mm. Um, every every project has its own craziness, and and it it's funny because because I work on them for so long because they take so long to do, and and there's always um, something on every project that happens that kind of throws things up in the air and causes a, a tizzy mm -hmm. is what keeps me on my toes. I think that um, without the um, the craziness, it would be it might get boring sometimes. I, don't I mean, know. it sounds That's like you just have these one. You've got people singing to you every day. Sounds. <laughs> That sounds amazing. But two, you have like these serendipitous moments where you're like, this is the perfect actor. This is the perfect fit. And that's it. It goes from there. Yeah. The craziness. I mean, like, we're all crazy. Your creative people are crazy. Actors are crazy. That's why they're so lovable. I know. I know. Casting <laughs> directors are super crazy. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so, so, so much. It was honestly my pleasure, Meg. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Bad Mad podcast. Please subscribe to check out the next episode or leave a review if you liked it. You can find us on Instagram at goodbadmad or at goodbadmad.com for additional resources and information. See you next time.